I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm teaching to you on Saturday. We teach on Saturday afternoon. We haven't opened the church up yet because of the coronavirus. It is still rampaging across the world. And until something settles on that, we're just going to be teaching on Wednesday around 2.30 to 3 o'clock. I teach for... I actually read emails from all over the world and answer in detail the people's questions. And then I teach for an hour and a half and I put out more information than most people put out in a lifetime in one message. And uh, in fact, I don't believe most preachers put out any information. And I'm teaching on Saturday, which today is Saturday, and I'm teaching on uh, the false doctrines and what they're doing to the world. The Lord said, if you don't keep my statutes and my commandments in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, and he says it over and over again all through the Old Testament. He said, if you don't keep my statutes and my commandments, then I will send four judgments, the sword, that will be war, There'll be wars of all kinds against God's people. And he says, I'll send the famine. The famine will be a shortage of money and a shortage of food. We don't have enough food in the world to feed everybody. That's why these people in South America whose lands are being taken over by drug cartels and by gangs and gangsters, they're coming up to the borders of the United States and coming in by the hundreds of thousands because there's this upheaval in the world's governments. And the reason for it all is famine. And famine has to do with economy. And those people in South America, they don't have enough to eat. Can I blame them for trying to come into the country? No. Can we feed them all? No. What's the answer? There is no answer. The Bible says at the end of time, There'll be distress of nations with perplexity. Perplexity is the word of poria, A-P-O-R-I-A. It means in a quandary. Now, a quandary has a definition. Quandary means no answer. It means no It means no way out. No way out. There is no way out of these things that are happening in the world. I do not believe there is a salvation in any leader. I do not believe Donald Trump had the answer. I absolutely do not believe that Joe Biden has any answers or anyone else in Washington because this is the judgment of God. God said so. He said, you can't cure what I'm going to do. He even said over there in the 36th chapter of Second Chronicles, he says, when I bring Nebuchadnezzar in, to carry you away into captivity. He says these very same words in another language, in Hebrew. He says, But these, but the people in Israel mocked the messengers of God, mocked the prophets, killed them all. 
when they were trying to tell Israel the truth and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people Israel till there was no remedy. No remedy is one word. It has the same meaning as a poem, marpe. It means no remedy, no answer, no way out. When these guys are trying to come up with answers, I do not doubt that the Democrats are trying to come up with an answer, but they don't have one. I believe that Donald Trump was coming. See, I really truly believe these guys believe in their side of things, even though they're fighting each other like a bunch of kids in school. The funniest, I heard the funniest thing on radio, then I looked it up on the Internet. I heard this, (laughs) it was hilarious. I just started laughing out loud riding down the road in my car. This announcer was coming on and talking about uh, the politics in the world. And he said, uh, he said, Joe Biden said that Vladimir Putin was a killer. And Vladimir Putin commented and said, it takes one to know one. <laughs> Just busted out laughing. That's the way that a great politician is supposed to talk about each other. Like some fifth grader in America in, in 1943. I, when he said it, t- have y'all looked at that on the internet? It is funny when he says, takes one to know one. <laughs> takes a killer to know a killer. I thought that was so funny. I just busted out. It's just the uh, irony of it all. But anyway, <laughs> I think it does take one to know one. <laughs> but anyway, y'all got to look that up on the internet. Just Google uh uh, Joe Biden calling calling uh, Vladimir Putin a killer. <laughs> and I don't know what all that referred to. I guess they killed all those people in Russia for those guys to get up to the top. But America does that too. They kill black people, kill minorities. They kill. They do whatever they can to gain the top of the ladder. Well, anyway, so I'm talking about this title. The reason for so much disease. Famine, the disease is going to be pestilence. And that would include all the diseases that have been in the world. That would be include uh, COVID, COVID-19. That would include, uh, that would include AIDS. That would include polio. When, in the early 50s, I was, and I was 11, 12, 13, 14 in the early 50s. Polio had the whole world terrified in 52 and 53. They were scared to death of polio. If you got around anybody at polio, that meant you was going to get it and die until they got the vaccine. And that would be the disease or Ebola. Ebola. Now, just because it was hundreds of years ago, the Black Plague was a judgment of God. Black Plague. And I've had people say, yeah, but everything that they attribute to COVID-19 is not necessarily COVID-19. Well, let me tell you a secret. When somebody dies, they don't know if they're dying of some permanent disease they have, like me, with I've got this bronchial asthma. 
They don't know whether they're dying of that or COVID-19. And when they had the Black Plague, they didn't know, they couldn't keep count of it because they didn't know how much was killing them. Or the bubonic plague, bubonic plague, when they give you the figures on it on the Internet, when you Google bubonic plague, they'll tell you, well, it was from 75 million to 200 million. They couldn't keep count of that either. And then when they had the, they had these other plagues, they never kept track of them. They didn't know how. So when people want to say, well, the numbers on the COVID-19 are not right. Well, we don't know exactly what they are. Nobody knows. It's just there. Good grief. Cut some slack for the world. The same same thing goes for AIDS, polio, and Ebola. And, And when they had smallpox, it doesn't matter how long ago it was. It was still the judgment of God. It's the disease that got on the world because God's people would not obey the truth. But how can they obey the truth when the preachers in the world are not preaching truth? The average person is not going to dig into the Bible, into books and encyclopedias where the preachers ought to be studying. And they're not going to dig into the Greek words. They're not, the average person is not going to do it. The average person at Grace and Truth doesn't have time to do it. Especially a mother of two or three children. She don't have time to do all that. That's what I'm supposed to do. But if you're a father, you should go home at night and dig into it because your preacher won't. So when they had the smallpox, they said from 25 million. They didn't know what number died of smallpox to 100 million. That's what it will tell you on the Internet. Why is it they couldn't keep a better count? They don't know what people die from when they die of these diseases. But the point is, it's all from God. That's the point. So this is the title I've got. The reason for so much disease, famine, which is the economy, wars. There are so many wars in the world right now, we can't count them. When we talk about going to the Middle East and they want to, talk, they want to attack the Yanks over there, in the Middle East, they're all fighting each other constantly. The Shiites and the Sunnis, which are all Arab Muslims, are in war with each other. So when we come over there, they get together and say, let's attack the Yanks together. It's it's utterly insane, and we think they're all bad. They're doing what they think is best for their people. We we hate Al-Qaeda, and, and we hate these terrorist organizations, uh, but all of them, several of them build hospitals for their people, the Muslims over there, and they're trying to get money together for them. I'm not trying to take their side. I'm just simply saying... They think they're right, and we believe we're right. But how can we be right when we're supposed to be godly in America and the preachers are not telling the truth? None of them are telling the truth. I'll say this, and this does not make me proud at all. I'm the only preacher that I know of in America that is trying. Notice I said trying. I'm trying to tell all the truth all the time by researching constantly. I want people to know what things mean. I want people to know 
I grew up thinking the Baptists were better than the people down the street. But I knew something was wrong because I knew I wasn't hearing what the Bible was saying. When my father preached, he'd quote the same seven or eight or ten verses and get up and tell stories about his life and brag and boast about himself. And I knew something was wrong. And as I grew up, the hardest thing for me to do was throw away my Baptist beliefs. I retained some of the verses my father quoted, like Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Romans 3, 23, and 6, 23, and, and Romans 10, 9, and 10, and Hebrews 11, 1. I heard those from him over and over. But once he quoted them, he'd just take off and tell stories. I am sick of the preachers. I'm trying to tell people why the preachers are lying you know the main reason they're lying? The main reason, well, let me put it real simple. They're lazy and unlearned. And they're too lazy to buy the right books and to learn. They'll go off to a seminary, take some easy, cushy job, or some easy, cushy uh, uh, courses because they saw some preacher when they were a teenager and thought, boy, that's an easy job. I think I'd like to do that. They go to a seminary and get them a, a Bachelor of Divinity degree and they didn't learn much of anything and they hated their Greek when they got to the Greek class. Gosh, I hate this. Hope we get out of this soon. And then once they get through the Greek class, whoo, boy, that's over with. I'm glad that's over. And I relish the Greek. I hunger after it. I want to know what does these things mean. The reason they're lazy, there's a verse that I've given to you so many times, and this is why they do what they do. Look over here in First Peter. First Peter 3 and verse 16. First Peter 3 and 16. This will tell you why they say the things that they say and it's not like I don't know. I've traveled all over America as a young a young evangelist back in my late 20s. I've preached in hundreds of churches across America, and I never ran across a preacher that knew much of anything about the Bible. Nobody. It says right here in Revelation, uh, not not Revelation, 1 Peter, Excuse me, Second Peter, not First Peter. Second Peter three sixteen, and Peter's referring to the writings of Paul when he says, "As also in all his epistles, speaking of Paul, speaking of them, of those things in which are things hard to be understood." But the word "understood" it tells you why they're hard to be understood which they that are unlearned, unlearned, they they are unstable and they rest the truth. The word unlearned is the word amathes, A-M-A-T-H-E-S. And since they don't know what something means, mathes comes from the word mathetes, which is the word disciple. 
and it means a learner. Placing the Alpha Privity in front of Mathes, which means to learn, means no, it's the negative particle, means no learning. They're unlearned. So since preachers are unlearned, they're lazy, and that's what they are. I had a preacher tell me one time here in Hendersonville, he said, I'm too busy administrating to study. Yeah, that's your problem, Buster. That's all. I'm going to call him Buster. I'm not going to call him Mr. And Reverend belongs to the Lord. Now, they're unlearned. They're unstable. They're, they're unstable and they rest. The word unstable is asteros, astereo, as. T-E-R-E-O. Stereo means to be founded in the word. And astereo, the negative particle, means unstable. And they rest the word of God. Rest is the word streblao. S-T-R-E-B-L-O-O. It means to wrench W-R-E-N-C-H or to torture. They torture the Word of God by twisting it to how they want it to read. That's the same thing that the Bible says over in 2 Corinthians 4. And go to 2 Corinthians 4 and 2. This is a favorite section of mine. It tells you how people just literally destroy the Word of God. And Paul says, We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. A-I-S-C-H-U-N-E. A-I-S-C-H-U-N-E. Askune. Askune means Shame or disgrace. That's this word dishonesty. It's a shame and disgrace what the preachers are doing. Not walking in craftiness. Craftiness is the word panorgia. P-A-N-O-U-R-G-I-A. It means trickery. P-A-N-O-U-R-G-I-A. The preachers are tricking people by saying something means something it doesn't mean. Gosh, how many things can I go into? They don't know what baptism means. Panagia is the same word in 2 Corinthians 11. Look at 2 Corinthians 11. It's the same word. 2 Corinthians 11 when the Bible is talking about God says, I've espoused you, the church of Corinth, to one husband. He says, I've espoused you to one husband, which is Christ. I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy in verse 2. I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. How can we be virgins? Because we're not going after idol gods. In the Old Testament, the Bible spoke of 
these idol gods as the lovers of Israel and lovers are the ones that cause a person to become unchaste. You can find that in Hosea, one of the places, the second chapter. He says you go after your lovers, which is Baal and the grove and Shemosh and Molech and Isis and Osiris. They took on all the gods of Egypt, took on the gods of Syria, took on the gods of, of Tyre and Sidon, took on the gods of Jordan, Moab and Ammon. That's what we call it, Jordan. And he says, I'm jealous over you, the God of jealousy, for I have spiced you to one husband, then I represent you as a chaste virgin. The virgin part is the inner man. That gets back to the inner and the outer man. The inner man cannot sin. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. His seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. That's First John 3 and 9, and First John 1 and 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The outer man is the is the one that walks after the flesh. The inner man is Christ in you, walks after the spirit. That one can't sin. That is the part of us that is a virgin. We have not gone after this idolatry, but the outer man does. Now, he goes on to say, but I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve, exapatao, deluded Eve completely. She did the same thing that Kenneth Copeland does, that T.D. Jakes does, that the Baptist preachers do. Eve did the same thing. She fell into temptation when Satan did one thing. He questioned what God meant in his word. Did God say? That's where that's where Satan started lying. Did God say? Well, that's you don't have to go any further than that. All he's doing is calling God a liar. Did God say, well, he didn't mean that you'll surely die. He means you'll become as him and you'll know everything. That's the first great lie of the Bible. You'll find that in the third chapter of Genesis. Did God say, he doesn't mean that. Did God say, baptize? Well, he means to dip in water. And he didn't. He meant blood. But these guys don't know this. I can spend all day long talking about baptism. It comes from baptizo and babto. Baptizo means to cover. It doesn't even mean to dip or to immerse. It doesn't even say that in your Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. It will say to whelm. To whelm. When you overwhelm somebody, you overcome them with some kind of substance or some kind of fluid or something, substance. That is very important when the Strong's Concordance says to whelm. It don't mean to dip or to immerse. It means to cover you. And the boy, that goes with the original definition of it. 
And when you go into the Strong's Concordance and look at your B volume and you look up baptize, it will say that baptize, the way he'll put it, he says it's a verbal noun. I know what a verbal noun is. But Mr. Strong didn't say what a verbal noun is. A verbal noun is an infinitive. But he tells you it's a verbal noun originally, and that's why the translators didn't know what to do with it. It is a noun. A noun is a person, place, or thing. This would be a thing because it wouldn't be a person. Be a thing. That would be neuter gender. So that's what an infinitive is. It's a noun, but it's verbal in character. What does it mean it's verbal? That's where this word to whelm comes in. But see, these guys don't think it's important to figure out the origins of these parts of speech. That's where an infinitive is going to balance with to whelm, to cover. It doesn't mean to immerse. They've got some new abridged concordances. I don't like them. Don't like them at all. If I get another concordance, I've got to go back, get an older concordance out of 1990. Or 91 or 1985 because they hadn't abridged them yet. Abridged means they've went back and changed some of the meanings. And it will say to immerse in some of the abridged concordances and it doesn't mean that. It means to whelm. What's the difference between whelm and immerse? To immerse means to dip into something. Dip downward. Whelm doesn't mean that. Whelm means to Here's an individual. Well means to bring a fluid from an outer source and cover the subject with it. And it, bab, babto means to stain with the dye. When Peter commanded them at the house of Cornelius to be baptized. That is one word in the Greek, B-A-P-T-I-S, baptids, baptids, this, nigh, baptids, nigh, baptids, nigh is an infinitive, so it cannot mean to dip, can't mean that. And it says in, be baptized in. That word in is the word E-N. Or we would write it E-N. That word in means it's, when it's used with an infinitive, it only means with or by. Where'd you get that, Jim? Out of one of my Greek books. Buy a Greek book and read it. One of Mouts' books on Greek, basis of biblical Greek. So it means to be baptized with the name. No, I have never heard anybody define name in a pulpit. 
Name is the word onoma in the Greek. It means authority. God's authority is his word. And the Bible says, Thy word is truth, and the Holy Spirit is truth. So that would be talking about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, which is the truth, and covering the individual with the truth. Or the Holy Spirit, or the Word of God, thy Word is truth, John seventeen seventeen, and the Spirit is truth. John fourteen fifteen sixteen John fifteen twenty six John sixteen thirteen first John five and six the Holy Spirit is the truth and the Word is the truth and that's the authority of God. So if you if He commanded them to be baptized in and I, this is one of many things they don't care what the they just say well let's make it simple let's talk about dipping somebody in water. That's not what baptize means. Was there a water? Yes. What was it? And who invented it? The Pharisees. It was called a proselyte baptism. And you had to do three things. And I've never heard a preacher even mention this. But you get all kind of books on it. I've never heard a preacher mention proselyte. Process. I've never heard a preacher even talk about it. Never. There was a proselyte baptism. There was a proselyte circumcision, baptism, and two turtle doves. You had to do these three things. If you lived in Greece, if you lived over here in Greece, and you wanted to become a citizen of Israel, or let me put it a different way, you wanted to become a member of the kingdom of God, which was a term for Israel. You had to go through these three things, circumcised, washed in water, that they called a new birth, the Pharisees did, and you had to offer two turtle doves at the temple. So, so let's go back to one of these maps. All right. If you're coming from Greece... You wanted to go over here to Israel, be a member of the kingdom of God. You had to forsake everything over here, give your land away, all your money away, come over here completely stripped of everything. And you had to go through this process, circumcision, baptism, two turtle doves. And then you could become a member of Israel and be participating in all of their rituals, Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Ingathering. You were called a proselyte of the gate. Never heard that mentioned by any preacher. Nobody, everywhere, anywhere. I hope it makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. And you can find out about it, and I can give you all kind of information on it and tell you what books to read and who to look to. Now, let me get back to this twisting of the Word of God that these guys do. All of them twist. The, the, the Pentecostals and Charismatics, they talk about... There's several things they talk about that's just stupid idiocy. They talk about tongues. 
And the reason they don't know what tongues is, is they are amathes, unlearned. And what they do is they strabao, the word of God. They wrench the scriptures, wrench because they are unlearned and they have never studied and they don't know nothing about the word tongue. Pentecostals don't know. And they get up there and say, Shandalamanda Kandai, Shandai Mastalashua Makashia. It's just the stupid invention of their mouth. It's not true. They know nothing about it and they're unlearned. And they've twisted the Word of God and called that spiritual. I can spend all day long teaching on tongues. You got two words, glossa. Dialectos. What this is, the Pentecostal tongues is of the devil. Pentecostal. Boy, and they will get mad at me for this. Well, I know what I feel, and I know that's the Holy Ghost that comes upon me. The Holy Spirit is the truth. It can't be the truth. You've redefined it and wrenched it and twisted it. Glossa means foreign language. We got our word glossary from that. I've got books up here that got glossaries in them, and it has a section of a book usually in the back, and it's got all these words that are in the book that are foreign to the average reader. It gives you the definition of what they mean. Glossa means foreign language. They had they had many foreign languages in the first century. You find glossa only in First Corinthians fourteen. And you have glossa and dialogs, dialectos, in in Acts the second chapter. But you got to know what they mean. Dialectos means a dialect. It's a, it's a dialect. Dialectos. They had a different dialect in every city state in the world in the first century. And the reason they had a dialect of the Koine for the same reason I told you earlier when they translated the Septuagint or the Hebrew into the Septuagint because Alexander the Great had ruled the world and they had everybody speaking Greek. So you're talking about if people are coming from all over the world, I've got this map of the world, this, this right here. This comes out of a book called the Compendia. Excellent set of books. I've got 11 volumes of it. The first two volumes are the Jews in the first century. It's just magnificent set of books. They're very expensive. Probably $120 a piece, something like that, or more. It's been years since I bought mine. They were over $100. They are great. And this comes out of the compendia. The Jews had been given... Gosh, all this goes together. I don't know of anybody that's even studied, never heard anybody that knew anything about it. I've, you know how many preachers I've listened to? thousands of them all over the radio, TV. I want to know what they're saying so I can call them down for it. I don't believe in any preachers I hear out there. There's not a famous preacher I'll give you a plug nickel for. 
That includes Charles Stanley and Adrian Rogers, who died here a few years ago, pastored the the second largest church in the Southern Baptist Convention in Memphis. I I just didn't like those guys. They lied all the time. Don't like them. And I got this out of the compendia. You have to know that, gosh, how can I say this? Let me see if I can say it fast. Exodus, 23rd chapter. The Jews were given, not just the 23rd chapter, several times, this is in the Old Testament. They were given three festivals that all the males were required to come back to. And they had to come back to these every day, every year. Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Ingathering. This was a seven-month, seven-month period. From Nisan, Nisan, which was uh, March, April. Fifty days later, Pentecost. Then the seventh month was Feast of Ingathering, which was the same thing as the as the Feast of Huts or Feast of Tabernacles, and that was to celebrate their time in the wilderness. And it was coupled with the Day of Atonement. All the males had to come back to all of these. Since these two were so close together, Passover and Pentecost, the compendia tells that a lot of those Jews would stay. They It would be difficult for some guy to be over here for Pentecost to go back home to Carthage and 50 days later to come back because it would take them a month or more of traveling. So, it would take them forever to get back over there. So why were they all over the world? Because when they were a nation under kings, they kept going after Baal, Grove, Shemosh, Molech, all the gods of the nations around them for 510 years. And that's the same system that was brought in the church. It was a feast of Saturn. It was brought into the church and renamed the Christ Mass by Constantine. And God says, if you keep going after all these other gods, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, the same thing I've got in this title up here. And then I'll send the beast. And that was Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. But they still had to live by these laws and all the males had to come back. So they were scattered by northern Israel, by Assyria in 722 B.C., southern Judah in 586 B.C., And that's a long story to this. But they still had these feast days. They were required by God to come back. So when you get over here to Acts 2, and the Bible says these were Jews from every nation under heaven, it might as well have said Jews from every nation, every nation speaking many, speaking all these dialects and glossa. And they couldn't understand each other. They couldn't understand each other even Acts 2. That's why God sent the miracle of the ear so they could hear every man in his own dialect wherein he was born. I don't know. I have never heard any preacher say that. None. I haven't even heard them address it because they don't know what it means. It goes back to here 
to the festivals. It goes to they did not obey God. And it goes to the scattering and God bringing them back. And this map out of the compendia shows all of them coming back from all over the world. And when they get there, they don't understand each other. They didn't understand each other in Acts 2. Prior to Acts 2, for 200 years, they didn't know what to do in 200 B.C. So they had an answer according to the compendia. They had an answer. They said, what we will do, we will build synagogues all over Jerusalem. And we'll build a synagogue for Babylon down here. So the people come back from Babylon, they can come back and go to their synagogue and they can fellowship with each other and they speak the same dialect of the Greek common street language. And I will build one for Corinth. Those people can come back and go to the Corinthian synagogue. We'll build one for Philippi and Thessalonica. They were right up here next door to each other and they probably spoke the same dialect. We'll build one for them and they can come back. And we'll build one for Rome and build one for Carthage, build one for Ethiopia. And they had synagogues all over Jerusalem simply so the people would come back and understand each other. But I'd never heard any preacher that had any idea what all this meant. None. I've never heard a professor that understood it. Why do I understand it? I don't know. I've studied my brains out thought and thought and thought and concentrated and laid in bed at night thinking whatever this goes to this and that goes to that oh here it is right here one night I was in bed when we lived on Irving it was about 3 o'clock in the morning I'm laying there thinking and I saw something come together and I sat straight up in the dark said that's it and Mary said what 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 I said that real loud and I just hollered it, hollered it out. I was so thrilled to find something. So Acts 2, nobody knows anything about tongues. Pentecostals are as lost as a bunch of gooses. It doesn't mean just make up words, that's what they do. It's foolish. Does that anger you? It makes me mad at preachers that are bums and they're lazy. And they won't change because if they do, if they tell the real truth and they find it out, they're going to be so embarrassed about having to go back to their congregation and say, I've been wrong. What they're going to have to do is be ready to go down here to a furniture store and get them a job selling furniture or go sell some insurance for an insurance company get them insurance debit because they're going to get fired for that $250,000 job or some of those guys make a million dollars. They're going to have to get them another job. They'll be kicked out of the church because they simply wanted to go to the truth. Now, I don't like the tongues stuff. It's nothing but stuff. It's wrong. And then they come up with, they've twisted the Word of God. Let me give you that that I started to read. 
in Second Corinthians 4. Second Corinthians 4. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, shame, and disgrace. Not walking in craftiness, panagia. I started to give you that word over in Second Corinthians. I'll give that to you and then get back over to this. They have... Read that verse 3. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve, exopratao, completely deluded her by questioning what God's word actually meant. He didn't mean what he said. That's what all the charismatics and the Baptists do. Well, God didn't mean... Uh, God didn't mean... God didn't mean uh, to do anything other than immerse people in water. As the serpent beguiled Eve with his subtility, panorgia, the same word as over here, craftiness in Second Corinthians 4 and 2. Craftiness. And as the serpent beguiled Eve, panorgia, excuse me, Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. That word subtility, panagia, means to speak by trickery. You're tricking people when you don't know what something means and you make up something like Have you ever seen that idiot Bob Tilton on TV? And he just go along and I we love the Lord, I love the Lord, I praise God, He'll just stick that in anywhere. Moronic. I believe Bob Tilton will be in hell one day along with Paul Crouch and Jan Crouch and T.D. Jakes. Unless God, what would God have to do to get their attention? They're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, to get anybody's attention, he might have to break their neck and make them a quadriplegic. I believe that's the only way he could really get to those people. When you got too much money to repent of, how are you going to repent? You're not. That your mind, your thinking would be corrupted, fathero, rotten. Their thinking is rotten. Then back over here to Second Corinthians 4. Craftiness. Walking in craftiness. Panogia. In trickery. They're tricking people. That tongues means what it says. And Benihan is tricking people that he's healing people. When the Bible says that the apostles will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, it doesn't mean you're going to make a show of it and get a big auditorium with 30,000 people and get a line coming up there and whack them in the head and go, Be healed! No, it, they'll just touch them. And the apostles have gifts we do not have. Paul was bitten by a deadly Mediterranean viper in the 28th chapter. His hand didn't swell up. These Mediterranean vipers had these hooked fangs where they would dig into you and start pumping venom into you. 
And they, it hung on Paul's hand, the Bible says. And he slung it into the fire. And the pagans said, he must have done something evil to deserve that. Because even they believed that if evil happened to you, that it was something from their gods. And when his hand didn't swell up, they said, he must be a god. Well, the apostles had gifts. You could be bitten by a deadly serpent. And the Mediterranean viper has, has poison that's equivalent to something like a king cobra. And you you can't live when you're bitten. And he just slung it off. It didn't even affect him. I want to see you guys handle. They handle snakes in East Tennessee and Eastern Kentucky. And one guy on there the other night, I, they showed a thing of him and he was swinging this serpent around and pop it popped him in the neck and boy he fell down and they carried him out and they said he's going to go up on a mountain and die you're not supposed to die if you're able to be bitten by a serpent but the secret is the secret that they use is something that the crocodile man said when he was alive before he died from that stingray the crocodile man would handle serpents all over the world, and he said, "What?" Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin. That's right. He handled, and he said, "You can keep snakes cold, and they won't strike you." So those people in eastern Kentucky, they found that out, and they put them in a cool box. But they take them out and swing them around. But if they warm up, look out. They're going to get you. You're going to die. So when the Bible says you will handle serpents, it don't mean, and if they bite you, you may die. No, you wouldn't die. And they could raise the dead. Peter raised Dorcas of the dead. You Pentecostals, you should be able to raise the dead if you speak in tongues. Because that was all the gift of an apostle. But the tongues were so they could... The thing... How how hard can I explain this? Who did he tell that you'll speak with other tongues? Who did he tell that to? In Mark the 16th chapter, Jesus was talking to the 11 apostles that were left. And the 11 apostles were from... Northern Galilee. They were a bunch of fishermen. Southern Judah. That's where the Pharisees were. The Pharisees wouldn't step foot into northern Israel. And there's reasons for that. I'm not going to go into it right now. But they wouldn't go into northern Israel. Well, these guys from Galilee, they were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. Peter was a fisherman. Andrew was a fisherman. James and John were fishermen. And they were simple men, and they only understood one, maybe two dialects of the common street language, maybe southern Judah. We know Peter spoke a dialect of southern Judah because when he was standing around the fire, warming his hands, when Jesus was taken by the Roman guards to, to put him to death, he was standing around the fire, and this one woman said, You're with him. I recognize you. Your speech betrays you. He was speaking a dialect of northern Israel. But here's the point. Jesus goes up to northern Israel, some house up there, when he resurrects from the dead. And then he tells them, 
you bunch of country fishermen, bunch of country shepherds, go into all the world and teach all nations. And they're going, what? Are you kidding, Jesus? How can we do that? All we know is a Galilean and possibly a southern Galilean dialect of the great common street language. We can't do that unless you give us some kind of miracle. And that's what the tongues were for. It was a miracle of the year. How here we ever met in our own dialect where we were born. It's amazing. But you notice what I'm doing? I'm breaking everything down to its lowest common denominator. Everything. I do that about tongues. I do that about faith healing. What these guys are doing, they are doing against what this second verse of fourth chapter of second Second Corinthians says, They have not renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, panogia, trickery. Panogia has basically the same meaning as guile. Means to speak and live by trickery. Dolos is the word. D O L O S. That's the word guile. And they talk about faith healing. That is the stupidest thing. Why is it so stupid? Well, because, mainly because, when all these super faith healers get real old and get to be 85 or 90, they all get a disease and die. And die. Is heart disease a disease? I guess it is. Heart disease. Is that a disease? Yeah. When you get old, like Paul Crouch, Jan Crouch, Oral Roberts, Kenneth Hagan, who started that positive faith, positive confession movement in America, and the rest of them who just died here a couple of weeks ago, uh, can't even think of his name. A couple of weeks ago, Fred Price. Fred Price. Yeah. Fred Price died. I don't believe Fred Price went to heaven. He believed all of this faith healing, tongue speaking. He believed all of that. He believed in that God wanted all of his people rich. He said, I've heard him say, I drive down to a poor part of town, I drive by a man in my Rolls Royce, and he's riding a bicycle. I say, he's got bicycle faith, I've got Rolls Royce faith. He was an out-and-out liar. He was a crook and a cheat. I believe he went to hell. I don't see how in the world he could have gone to heaven. He had no daily cross, no death to self, no self-denial. He certainly didn't have any being hated by the world. He had too many people thinking he had some miracle answer. Joel Osteen's in the same boat. God doesn't want everybody rich. People say, but Abraham was rich. 
The Bible says Abraham was rich in Genesis, the 15th chapter, the second verse. But how many people was in Abraham's household? I'll show you if you look at Genesis 14. Everybody in his house wasn't rich. And something people don't understand about rich people in the ancient world when they were the head of a household, they had to make sure everybody else in the household was taken care of. They had to make sure everybody ate before they ate. And after everybody else ate, they'd say, bring me a plate. They had to make sure that everybody's bills were paid, that everybody, and even if you were a slave in a household, usually they would adopt the slaves and they treated the slaves like children. Didn't treat them mean. In the 14th chapter of Genesis, and when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, that's, talk, that's verse 14, that's Lot was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them into Dan. Dan is the most northern section of Israel. So he had 318 in his household. He was the only one that was rich. So when they say, Abraham was rich, and God wants us to be rich. No, he doesn't. Woe unto you that are rich. You have your consolation, your comfort, your paraclesis. Woe is a cry of damnation. I love the verse over there in Psalm 73. I don't know what these guys do when they read these verses. Psalms, the 73rd chapter. Psalm 73. The writer here is saying, this is the prophet prevailing in temptation. This is a psalm of Asaph. Asaph wrote this psalm. And Asaph was the music leader of Solomon. And then he says down here in verse 3, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There's no bands in their death. They're at a living death, and nothing restrains them from what they want to do. But their strength is firm. They're not in trouble like we are, like other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Their pride compasseth them about as a chain. They're wrapped up in pride. Violence covereth them as a garment. They're violent men. They're hard on people. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish for. They're evil people. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against God's heavens. And their tongue walketh through the earth and destroys people. Therefore his people return hither in waters of a full cup are wrung out of us. And they say, how doth God know? God doesn't know what we're doing. We're too small in the scheme of things. Is there knowledge in the Most High? Does He know? Over and over again, Israel said, God doesn't know what we're doing. says that several times in Psalms, the 10th chapter, 
in Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter. He does not know. He does not care. In in the 91st Psalm, he says the same thing. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. They're ungodly. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. And the writers saying, it seems like I've done this all for no reason. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak, behold, I shall offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me to realize that the rich are prospering. Nothing stops them from having everything they want. You want to preach now? (laughs) When I thought to know it was too painful for me until, it was painful until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood the end of all these wicked people that prosper in the world. I saw their end and it bothered me till then. Now, let's go back over here to Second Corinthians 4 and 2. I, he said, I don't handle the word of God deceitfully, but the manifestation of the truth Commanding ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now let me give you a couple of more of these where he's talking about looking Second Corinthians. It seemed like Second Corinthians had a lot to say about men being corrupted. Look in the second chapter of Second Corinthians. This is what these Baptists and these Charismatics the Baptists and the Charismatics are the biggest, the largest Protestant denomination in America or perhaps even in the world. Charismatics are worldwide. They're all over Africa, all over South America. They've held hands with Roman Catholicism. That's what TBN does. They bring on Roman Catholic priests on there who believe in eating the body of Jesus. Then he says here in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 17, Paul says, we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. They've corrupted God's word. That's, I love this word. It's the word kepeluo, K-E-P-E-L-E-U-O, K-E-P-E-L-E-U-O. It means a huckster. You know what a huckster is? It's one of those guys that is always pitching something to sell. Step right up, brother. I got a special deal for you. In the early 50s, we thought of a huckster as some guy standing out on the street saying, Step right up. For one dollar, I can give you this miracle cure. And that's those guys are hucksters. means to be a huckster. Or the word means retail. Be selling something. They're selling you something. Every time my phone rings and a guy says, Mr. Brown, well, you've got a chance to win. I just say, one time I used, I said to some guy, I said, you have a chance to win this new car. I said, thank God I want a car. I said, Mary, we've won. We've won. 
And the guy said, well, wait a minute. So wait, wait, wait. I said, we want a car. I said, you bring it out here and park it in front of my house, and I'll give you this ticket. <laughs> I put these guys on. You can either do that or say, when you get one of these calls, what will really, really gets these guys? I say, have you ever heard of predestination? The Bible says, for whom he did, for no. I did that to a guy one time, and it got dead silent on the other end. So I just give them a Bible verse, especially a predestination verse. And I'll say, God doesn't love everybody. Did you know that? Now, go to one of my favorite verses. I'm going to tell you what these guys do. In Romans 16, this is one of my favorite all-time verses in the Bible. First time I heard this read, I was very young. I said, boy, I love that. I want to memorize that. I want to remember that. And I don't want to forget forget it. Romans 16. So I memorized it when I was young. Look here in verse 17. I love this. It's one of the first verses I memorized when I was in my early 20s. Now I beseech you, brethren. Beseech means to beg. Beg you, brethren. Mark them which cause divisions. Mark, scopeo. We get our word scope from that. You have put a scope on the top of a rifle to aim at your prey or your deer or whatever you're hunting. Mark them. Aim at them. Take aim. Regard and take heed. Mark them which cause... Point them out to people. That's what I'm doing about these lying preachers. Mark them which cause divisions. Decostasia. It comes from deco, which is, we get the word die or two, and it means, we also get the word duo, which is two people working in concert together, and stasia means two standings. Mark them that have faith that heals as well as Faith that dies to self. That's two standings. Faith is actually death to self, and they're saying faith makes self well, and that's not true. And they've got two standings because they don't define define the words. When Jesus has the woman with the issue of blood, he says to her, And the reason preachers don't know what this means is they don't define the words. I've heard preachers preach on the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5 over and over and over again. I say some things I've never heard any preacher address. And Jesus tells the woman, here's what he says to her. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go and be whole 
of thy plague. You got whole and whole. If this second word whole is the same word as the first word whole, then she's cleansed of her plague by faith. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go and be whole of thy plague. These are two completely different words in the Greek. But charismatics are not going to find out that they're two different words because it tells you what her faith did. Her faith made her sozo. That's the word saved. Her faith saved her. Then Jesus says, Now, since I am a living God, and you've come to me believing me, I'm not going to let you go without healing you. And you come in contact with Jesus as a believer, and she touched the hem of his garment. He said, Now you can go and be hugius. That is not the word saved. And she, her faith did not heal her. That was simply the will of God to heal her. Hugius, we got our word hygiene from that. Hygiene means physically cleansed. That's what hugius means. Physical. To be physically cleansed. But it, her faith is not what did that to her. It did not. Her faith saved her. Every time. Um, how do you do this? There's a book. It's called Word Study Concordance. What you do is you look up one time where it says, Thy faith has made thee whole with this woman, the issue of blood. You t- and you look up that word. You look up in the concordance. It'll give you a number. A number. And what you do, you look up in the word study concordance, that number that's in that number, and it'll tell you every time that word is used in the New Testament. And every time the Bible says, Thy faith has made thee whole, every time it's the word sozo. Every time. Saved. Faith saves, it does not heal. I said it earlier, I've said it many times. Why is it that all these faith healers, when they get old, Fred Price was 89, he died. Fred Price. And they had the gall to say, we gave him permission to go ahead and die and go into eternity. And he died of a disease, a heart disease. Fred Price, Kenneth Hagin, he is the guy that started the positive confession movement. He died of a heart attack. Why didn't they call in Benny Hinn to heal him when he's on his deathbed? And then Oral Roberts... These are guys who've twisted the Word of God all to pieces. 
Or Roberts died of pneumonia. Where did you get all this information, Jim? Go on the internet and Google how these faith healers died. And it will tell you exactly what their disease was. They all died of a disease. Faith does not heal. Faith believes God. That's what it does. And if he wants to heal you, he will. If he don't, he won't. What gets me in John, the fifth chapter, Jesus is tripping through there in John. I'll come back to this in a minute. He's walking, he's at this pool that's supposed to be, if you get dipped in it at the time of the year the water moves, that you're supposed to be healed. And he walks into this pool. And he's, it's actually in the, in the, uh, it's in the fifth chapter of John. There lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at the certain season in the pool and troubled the water, and whosoever then first came after the troubling of the water stepped in and was made whole. And whatsoever disease he had, and a certain man was there and had been had infirmity thirty and eight years. And Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, and saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The word that Jesus used was hugius. It was not sozo. Would you be hugius? Would you be physically cleansed? Now notice this. There lay a great multitude of impotent folk. There's a multitude there at this water waiting to be healed. And Jesus trips through all of them, looks at one man, and says, Will you be made physically cleansed? Why didn't he just heal all of them? So would everybody here like to be made physically well? Would you like any would everybody here like that? But he didn't do that, did he? He doesn't want everybody healed. He doesn't want me healed in my old age. I'm going to die before long. But why would I want to stay here when I could go live with the Lord and get rid of this old sick body? Why? Those people did not. Oral Roberts died of pneumonia. Paul Crouch, who organized TBN. You can go online and look him up. Paul Crouch, who started TBN, they will tell you on the Internet that he wrestled with congestive heart failure for the last 10 years of his life. Heart failure. last 10 years. And he died of it. Why didn't he call in Benny Hinn to heal him? Huh? And his purple-haired wife, Jan Crouch, died of a stroke connected with a heart attack. Why is it all the faith healers die when they get old? 
It's crazy. They've twisted the word of God because they're unlearned and they don't even think about these things. And Kenneth Copeland says he's going to live to be 120. When he dies, I want to say, How did, I thought you didn't make it, did you? He ain't going to live to be 120. Nobody lives to be 120. Except the Gurkhas, the, those guys over in, and those guys that lead people up the mountains over in uh, Mongolia. The Gurkhas, I think it's G-U-R-K-A-S. They're a group of people, all they do is eat herbs and beans and lentils, and that's all they eat. And they're real healthy. They walk up those mountains every day leading people. You don't live to be 120 years old, Kenneth Copeland. Do I believe him? I don't believe nothing he says. Now back here to back here to Romans. Here's how they fool people. And you can name all kinds of people that die. Everybody that dies of old age dies of a disease. You either die of heart disease, a cardiac. They'll tell you you have a cardiac problem. I've got a cardiologist. It comes from cardia, which is a Greek word that means heart. That's the word heart in the Greek. Get the word cardiac from that. Or a cardiologist. He's a heart doctor. And I take simvastatin. That's to keep the keep the uh, uh, cholesterol down in my arteries. Why can't I just somebody lay hands on me and I won't have to take simvastatin no more. It's crazy. And Dr. Lopolis told me, he said, simvastatin is a miracle drug. He said, one of these days we'll have drugs that probably will make heart disease uh, something of the past. But that's how much progress they're making in medicine but it wouldn't be medicine that make these guys well these guys got old Oral Roberts was in his 90s when you're in your 90s one of your systems is giving out it'll either be your heart or your arteries or your or it will be your pulmonary system your breathing your bronchial tubes your lungs one of them gives up it's it's insane to say Faith can heal. I've got a t-shirt that says, Faith healing is a lie. On the front of it. I hope people read it when I walk up to them. And then he says here, in, Mark them was caused divisions. The division is, is that they say faith can heal. And they got two, there's two standings. One that says faith saves, and they say faith heals you physically. That's two standings. That's what this word division means, dikostasia. And offenses, scandalon. Scandalon means to trip people up. It's a trap stick. It's a little sapling bent over with a noose in it, and it will trap the little rabbit, and it will trap the believer. And all these offenses, and all these double standards, these divisions, and he says, it's contrary to the doctrines that ye have learned. What these guys are preaching is preaching contrary 
para. It's a parallel doctrine. It, they use Bible verses and say, faith will hoogius you, and the Bible says faith saves you. And that's two different standings, and that's a contrary doctrine, contrary to the doctrines didache, instruction. It's contrary to the instruction you have learned. When you follow instruction, if anybody preaches any other than doctrine, any other than instruction, we're not to be friendly to them, bid them God's speak, because what they're doing is tearing down the world. I'm not going to be friends with charismatic people, charismatic preachers, and say, they're Christians too. No, they're not. Not if they don't believe in predestination, death to self, and daily cross and self-denial, and they believe in this faith, healing, and tongues. You think God will let somebody that far off base say, well, you can come into heaven anyway because you mentioned the name of Jesus. Now, and here's what they do. And avoid these people. Learned. That word learned, it's contrary to the doctrines that you have manthano. Learned. Manthano comes from the word mathetes, which is the word disciple, which means to learn. And we get the word mathes from that. And the alpha privet in front of that means unlearned. And these people that twist the word of God, and that's what Fred Price, Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Oral Roberts, all those guys do. They twist the word of God and say, Faith, sozo you, when it only hoogias you. And it doesn't hoogias unless God wants to. Faith doesn't hoogias. Faith saves, but only God can hoogias if he wants to. He can give you good hygiene if that's what he wants. That's the only way you can have good hygiene. I have been sickly from the time I was born. I mean, when I was in the first and second and third grade, just as soon as spring would come, I'd get real sick and have to be in bed for a week and a half or two weeks, and I missed a lot of school. When fall would come, with the weather changing, in 1945, 46, and 47, we didn't know anything about allergies. I didn't even have heard of an allergy doctor. But some people have weaker systems than other. I had weak a weak immune systems. My allergy the allergy doctor I used to go to in the sixties out at Vanderbilt said everybody has a weak system. All you have to do is put it under enough pressure and it will break. He said, Yours is your pulmonary system, your breathing. If you put it in, and I was stupid, I didn't pay any attention. I kept trying to be something in the music business and and go out there and just conquer the world. And it was making me a wreck physically. I don't believe in stress at all. It stresses me, me out to hear these guys preach. What a bunch of liars. I believe the charismatic movement and the Pentecostal movement is one of the most evil things that has happened to the church in the history of the world. Because they're taking the Bible, they're doing the same thing 
the serpent did with Eve. They're saying, did God say that faith only saves? Well, that's not true. We're saying faith heals people. That's They're saying the same thing the serpent said to Eve. Did God say, well, he didn't mean that. He meant faith heals. You guys are liars. You're lying thieves. I don't know why God doesn't kill them all. He will one day and put them in hell if he doesn't convert them. I don't believe a man can preach what Kenneth Copeland preaches for 50 years and be a believer. I don't believe that. There's no daily cross, no death to self, no self-denial. Without a daily cross, Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. Daily cross comes by telling people the truth and they want to crucify you for it. Then he goes on to say, they that are such, oh, he says, avoid these people. Avoid eklino, E-K-K-L-I-N-O. Means to shun or go out of the way to stay away from them. E-K-K-L-I-N-O. It means to shun or lean away from. Stay away from people who preach divided doctrines that are dicostasia. It's parallel doctrines. And it offends the church. And then it says in verse 18, for they that are such, it's talking about the people that that divide, have divisions, dicostasia, the people that are offending the church, the people that have that have contrary teachings. Avoid these people, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. They're not serving God, they're serving the other Jesus. I believe that's who all of these people are preaching to, all these charismatics. There's so many of them coming on the scene. Joel Osteen is one of them. Joel Osteen. He preaches about, in that book, Your Best Life Now. Well, let me tell you, if you believe your best life is here and now, this then your best life is here and now, because you're going to be in hell one day. Your best life is not here and now. That's a stupid man. He, How can Joel Osteen tell you how to live? He's in his mid-40s. His father was John Osteen. John Osteen built that church up to about 10,000 people in 1965. All Joel Osteen's father did was die and leave him a thriving, false-teaching church. That's all he did. And he's built it up to 30,000. But that's pretty easy when you got 10,000 to start with, 10 to 12,000. Joel Osteen lives high. Joel Osteen, his father was wealthy in the mid-60s. That was when 65, 75, 85, 95, 2005, 15... That was before he was even born, or about the time he's born. And Joel Osteen has been born and lived with a silver spoon in his mouth all his life. 
He's never known difficulty in life. How can he get up there and tell you what it's like to live a difficult life and what you need to do and think? He knows nothing about it. He's been rich since he's been born. I don't know if he drove a Corvette to school, but he could have because his father had the money. Joel Osteen is one of the biggest con men that's ever come along. I don't like these guys. Let me read the rest of this verse and I'll stop. Avoid these people, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. An Epicurean term that meant the seat of all sensual desires. That's what these guys serve, their money. And here's how they fool people, by good words. Questologia. It sounds plausible. Good words, Christologia, and fair speeches. And by fair speeches, eulogia. Eulogia, we get our word eulogy from that. You do a eulogy at a funeral by telling people how good this man was. They'll tell you how good you are, how you deserve all these things, and you deserve money and wealth and health and everything that makes you feel good so you can have your best life now. They don't believe in a daily cross or self-denial or dying daily. None of them. I don't like those people. Why? They oppress the poor and the downtrodden. Let me tell you, there's a verse over in the 22nd chapter of Exodus. It says, if you oppress the widow and the orphan, they will tell you to go borrow money. Borrow $2,000 to send us. God will restore it a hundredfold. Don't you believe that? They'll tell you, if you're poor, you go borrow money. I've heard R.W. Shambach, he's a sham. He's dead now. I've heard him say, we don't want a thousand dollars. You go borrow two thousand from your relatives and send it in and God will bless you a hundredfold. They, they've got lies up on top of lies. I don't like any of them. I'm not supposed to. By good words and fair speeches, it sounds plausible. Good words means plausible means it sounds right. It sounds right to tell somebody, God wants you to have all that you want money, but you really need to send me all this money so you can get rich. That is twisting God's words and saying, did God say? And it denies all those verses about death to self, self-denial, bearing a cross. Without a daily cross, you can't be a follower of Christ. They deceive the hearts of the Akakos, people that are not evil. Baby lambs follow them. People that are simple-minded. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. I don't want you to be involved in evil. It's evil to preach this other Jesus that these preachers preach. I've got other, I want to go more further into this.
I need to go in further into the healing that they do, into the slain in the spirit. The spirit quickeneth, John the sixth chapter says, it doesn't kill people. Slain in the spirit is something that Catherine Kuhlman started, and the woman was a wacko. You can find her picture in the smoke screens, shaking hands with the Pope, getting his blessing on her so-called ministry. Those people are just, they're crooks. And you know what? They're legal crooks because you can get a license and get a tax deferment on any ministry you want to start. You can start a ministry worshiping chairs or easy chairs or get a ministry worshiping tables or doorknobs and you can get a tax deferment on it. And that's what they've got. They're crooks. There's always, there were senators trying to attack these people. And you know why they can't get them? Because they have, they've got their self surrounded with battery of lawyers. A battery means many lawyers. And they got many lawyers that rise up and defend. Kenneth Copeland was attacked by this one lawyer and you can't get to them and they use that tax deferment and we're a ministry and you can't question us about what we're doing. I don't like people that hurt the poor. God says, if you oppress the wood and the orphan, I'll hear their cry. They're crying to me. I'll hear their cry and I'll kill you with the sword. That's all they do is attack the poor. It's the poor looking for a way out. And there is no way out except God. I am tired of the preachers in America. I'm sick of them. I'm not a member of any of their organizations. I don't believe in them. Don't believe in the Baptist I was raised around. Baptists don't know nothing about the Bible. They they actually had a meeting. The Southern Baptist Convention had a meeting. I got it off the Internet on whether the sinner's prayer was true and whether accept Christ was true. And they voted and said it was. And the Bible says it's not. The Southern Baptists did that. How can they... How can they say that when the Bible says, We know that God heareth not sinners. If a man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. How can they say that when the Bible says, How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? I guess y'all figured out I'm tired of the preachers in the world. I don't know of anybody that gets in the detail about things like what I do here. But you know what it takes to get in detail? Thousands and thousands of hours of study and 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 constantly cogitating, which means to mull over in your mind, thinking around the clock. I never stop thinking about the Bible. Never. It's in. That's what the Bible means when it says, "Thy word have my head and my heart, that I might not sin against thee." Or when it says that we have to think of God day and night, every day. I don't ever quit. You can't get this much stuff in your mind and quit thinking about truth. 
I don't like the preachers. I hope you're learning not to like them. Jesus called the Pharisees children of hell. I believe that's what these guys are. I believe that that Fred Price, when he died, I believe he went to hell. He had no semblance of a preacher of truth. He died about two weeks ago. Y'all do know who he was, don't you? You know who Fred Price was? You never watched him? He was big. He was one of the biggest preachers among them. He met in a dome. Used to be Pepperdine University in Los Angeles. He bought the Pepperdine University Coliseum and set up his church in it. I don't know how many thousand, 15,000 more. And he just had those people, had them conned out of their socks. I don't see how he got into heaven. You have to be repentant to get into heaven. If you don't turn away from self, you don't have repentance. If you're not ashamed, you don't have repentance. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, I'm so frustrated with these preachers. I don't know what to do. I hate it when somebody takes your word and twists it all to pieces. And I don't believe you like them, and I don't like them. I want to hate those that you hate with a perfect hatred, like David said. Lord, fight our battles for us. Help us to live the way we should, and I pray you'll help the church. Help the people to die to the flesh and live for you. Lord, it's the most comforting thing I've ever come to because I'm not frustrated over things and stuff anymore. Thank you for truth. Lead us to your elect. Fight our battles in Christ's name. Amen. Most people won't call these guys down. The Baptists won't call them down. John MacArthur will call him down in his book, Strange Fire, but he won't go to each one of those words and tell you what they mean and that they contradict what they're saying. He won't do that. You've got to go to prosper and be in health. You've got to go to these words. What do they mean? You've got to go to baptize. You've got to go to... Uh, all these things that I'm preaching on, when they say these things, you got to go to whole. Faith has made the whole be whole of that plague. you got to go to the words. Say, so this is why they're lying and don't mean this. And they're doing it so people will give them money. Not a little money, but large amounts of money. TBN started telling people when you die, leave your house and your estate to TBN. And they had people start signing over their houses before they died. <laughs>